All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. As promised, today we got a uh, we got a tough one. You know, on, on, in the land of difficult conversations, this is going to be right at the tippity top of one of the most difficult conversations we've ever had because it's one of the most polarizing subjects we've ever had. Um, by popular demand, we've got a ton of requests to do a show like this, which is that I just feel like the timing's right. We're going to be discussing race relations in America. So tonight, I have two uh, difficult conversation veterans here tonight. I have Dwayne Forts. I'm going to go ahead and bring him up. Dwayne, how you doing? Good, Dean. How you doing? I'm. It's. I'm. I'm honored that you decided to come and 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 take this journey with me. This is going to be a tough one. Yeah. It's not for the faint of heart, but this is something where um, hopefully people will really listen to the content and uh, and and really dive in and listen to what we're saying because we're going to be bearing our souls a little bit tonight. There it is. All right. Secondly. This person needs no introduction. They're always around. Anytime there's a difficult conversation, he's there. Mike Powell. Mike, what's happening? Oh man, this is uh this is definitely gonna be at the top of the list for difficult conversations, Dean, but I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully we get some great, great uh questions. All right. So, gentlemen, if I may, uh, we lost a great, a great uh sports legend, a great, a great champion for civil rights in the Boston area. And that, forget the Boston area in all of America. So just a quick moment of silence for uh, Mr. Bill Russell. All right, Mr. Russell, thank you for everything you did for us on and off the court. You are a legend, and uh, certainly you've enhanced our lives through your efforts. So um, thank you for that, and uh, rest in peace. So gentlemen, what I would like to do is I'd like to have each one of you just kind of share a, a quick story about what it was like for you growing up and when you really became aware of, of, of different races that you maybe you were different than some of the other kids you, or people you were around. So I'm going to start with, uh, with Mike first. Mike, can you talk a little bit about your upbringing? Yeah, so my, my upbringing was, uh, was not different from a lot of, lot of folks, I would imagine. Um, so I, I grew up in a single uh, parent home. I grew up with my dad. My dad raised uh, myself and two other siblings, and, you know, and he was the, obviously the sole provider. Uh, where he had to provide for three uh, active kids, uh, boys. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I was I was fortunate enough that even although we weren't rich, um, I was fortunate enough that that he was uh, able to provide a lot of the the um, the values that I have today in regards to respect and structure and and uh, being financially responsible and 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 a lot of other good things that that he taught me along the way. Um, as far as race relations goes, uh, I, I obviously had to, um, experience some of the things that my dad had to go through, um, in regards to just race, race relations in, in, uh, in this country. Um, they, they weren't, they weren't always pleasant. Um, but I, I think I appreciated my dad the most because he, although he went through some, some difficult times during his, his journey, uh, throughout his life, uh, you know, he, uh, I never heard him say um, to be hateful because of the experience that he went through. I think it was a learning process. I, th I think that it was taught along the way to, <clears throat> you know, to overcome some of the things, uh, difficulties that you may have to go through and, uh, keep, you know, keep your head up and, and keep moving on. 
All right, Mike, thank you for sharing that. We're certainly going to circle back to some of those experiences. Dwayne, if you would, same question. Just kind of talk a little bit about your upbringing and, um, and, and how that shaped your, your view of the world. Yeah, so uh, I'm from, you know, Wayham, small uh, town in Wayham called Onset. That was uh, where I was born and raised. Uh, born and raised there and um, come from a pretty big family. My mother has uh, 13 in her family, you know, um, just on my mother's side, I got 72 first cousins. So um, real big family. And then when um, my grandmother, when my grandmother passed away, that was that was uh, kind of like the family uh, crest started to, uh, you know, not be as tightly uh, knit, you know, with my grandmother gone. And, uh, you know, my, I lived in Wayham, like I said, till uh, born in 68, moved to Wayham. I mean, I moved to Plymouth, moved to Plymouth in 1982. And um, when I moved to Plymouth, it was it was a lot different, you know, um, structure wise, neighborhood, because um, the neighborhood I grew up in was all family oriented. And I mean, you couldn't walk two houses without being a family member or somebody who, you know, knew who your parents were and and so forth. So uh, my father, um, you know, Marine and uh, true and true and, uh, you know, very um, structured, had to be in, you know, dinner was at, you know, four thirty, five o'clock. Don't be late. And um, that's at the at the dinner table. That's that's where we talked. And my father was, uh, you know, very, very, uh, very structured. And I always, you know, um, aspired to fill his shoes. And, um, you know, and I'll never be, I, I'm, I'm my own person. And, and he was his own person. But at the end of the day, um, you know, as far as, you know, the, the racial imbalances, like it wasn't until I moved to Plymouth that, um, you know, I, I didn't know what the word nigga was until I knocked on a door to go ride bikes and, a grown adults and my kid don't play with niggas. And um, I was looking around like where the niggas coming from. And uh, with that being said, you know, I uh, went home, said, hey, this just happened. And um, yeah, it was it was a good life lesson. You know, my father was just like, you know, in, in a nutshell, like don't draw, you know, don't draw too much attention to it. He explained me what it was. And I know we're going to get into the show and stuff like that. But uh, yeah. Live above, live above the uh, the ignorance. As a young kid, I didn't know what what, what was going on, but yeah, there, there was some. Uh, that's 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 who's made me who I am today. I'm All right, fair, well, well, fair enough. Uh, I guess it's only fair that I go and talk a little bit about my story and my journey. Um, many of you, if you followed Supply the Why, you uh, you know a little bit about me. I grew up in the town of Stoughton. Uh, it's a it's a suburb about thirty minutes south of Boston in Massachusetts. My parents had a very interesting uh, journey. My father uh, was born in Baltimore, moved to Massachusetts, Cambridge, Massachusetts, when he was 12. My mother is, uh, was born and raised in Cambridge, Massachusetts. They, they married at a young age because that's what people did uh, back then. They were, they were married uh, before they were 21. They moved in together, and they wanted more. They were living in uh, some, of the, some of the tougher areas of Boston. And they planned on having a family, so they wanted to find places where um, where it might be a little bit more conducive to what they were looking for, what their goals and what their uh, dreams were. So they ended up in Randolph, Massachusetts, which um, if for those of you that aren't from the area, that is probably the most diverse suburb in all of New England. Um, so they ended up there, made a few friends, and they wanted to buy a home in, in, in Randolph. 
Well, what happened was, and we're going to talk more about this later, was they uh, were ended up being redlined where they weren't shown uh, what most pe- what some people might consider to be higher end properties. They were kind of shown what they thought, what they perceived to be lower end properties by the real estate realtors because back then they didn't really necessarily want people of color in some of the prime neighborhoods in that town. So long story short, they were redlined right out of that town into Stoughton. And we ended up, they ended up buying a house on the outskirts of town, uh, 12 house cul-de-sac. And uh, they were the only black people uh, for quite, you know, there was nobody that looked like us uh, in our our neighborhood in 1976. And it ended up probably being the best thing that ever happened to us because my, uh, my older brother, my younger sister and I, we ended up getting a great education. We ended up making lifelong friends. And uh, to this day, our name in, in this town, it's a respected name because of the examples like Mike and Dwayne talked about that my parents set forth and the uh, and, and how they raised us. So that talks a little, that, uh, that's just a little bit about how I grew up and how that shaped my view of the world being uh, dark-skinned black growing up in a mostly white community. So that's a little bit about me. So what spawned this show uh, tonight, while well, we realized we had to have it, was I actually got a, got a um, I don't know if it was a text or a call from Dwayne uh, about a week ago asking me if I had seen this Netflix series called Who We Are. So Who We Are talks a little bit about race relations in, in, in America. Um, I shared it out a bunch, trying to get people to at least take a peek at it before tonight so you'd have a frame of reference. And that show spawned a conversation where I think we were on the phone for about an hour (laughs) and we were just going back and forth about all the things that were in this that sparked memories about how we grew up and uh and some of the experiences we had so just to kind of let everybody in on that I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play that clip just to give everybody an idea of of some of what was talked about then we're going to jump into the content on the clip so everybody stand by This is what luck looks like. I have worked as hard as anybody in this theater to get where I am today. And I am proud of that. But I am lucky. I was not the smartest kid in my neighborhood. And that ball that we saw rolling back when King got shot, the only reason I didn't get crushed by that ball is that I had unicorns for parents who figured out some way to get their kids into a situation where they had a better chance to succeed. And if that's what it takes to have a legitimate chance at success, having unicorns for parents or just having dumb luck, is that really a country that you want to live in? And so when you hear words, when you hear the concept expressed of white privilege, I am begging you to think about that in a different way. White privilege doesn't mean that you haven't worked hard. It doesn't mean that you haven't overcome obstacles. It means that you walk through the world differently than the black and brown people in this country. It does not take away from your hard work or your accomplishments at all. It simply says this playing field is not level. All right. So one of the things we talked about earlier backstage, everybody, was that phrase and how that how polarizing that phrase is white privilege. So we're going to we're going to hit the bay. We're going to go ahead and fight the bear head on on this one. 
So white privilege. So I'm going to ask Dwayne, Dwayne, if you could talk really quick about, about that phrase, what it means to you, and do you shy away from it in your personal relationships? No, it means nothing to me. Um, and when I say nothing, I'm old school, I'm 53 years old. Um, that term, along with other terms, uh, to, I, I, I don't feed into, I'm, I'm an introvert, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm a really don't, as you know, I don't surround myself with a lot of people. My circle is so small. It could get mistaken as a period. And with that being said, like I, I surround people, I surround myself with people on the same mission. So to the point of the term white privilege, like that, that it's a, it, that's who, who adopted that name? Who, who, who came up with that? Does it exist? Like privileges exist in, in, in a vast variety of things. So to put a color onto it goes against my, how I was brought up. Like you, you either good or you're bad, you know, that, that, that's it. So, you know, you either privileged or you're not don't hate the player, hate the game. All right. So there's different, different ways that it manifests itself. Mike, how about you? What do you, what do you say? Um, is that something, is that a term you use? Is that something that comes up in your personal life? Do you shy away from it? Do you lean into it? No, no, it, it definitely doesn't come up in, uh, in my personal life. I've obviously heard the, the term before, but I, I, I think, um, and I, I think uh, Dwayne alluded to the fact that we, we throw a lot of labels on things, um, but when when that word or that phrase comes uh, comes to mind, uh, you know, and I think it is very polarizing because uh, when you when you mention that word, um, folks who who who, have, who who are not doesn't don't look like you and I uh, has have have had it hard just as hard as you and i so i think when you throw that phrase of white privilege on um on folks i i think it it it, it sparks emotion and, and i think that that word stems from uh for uh, lack of a better term i think it stems because we're in this cultural box and and you know throughout history and and even to this day uh the uh the majority in this country is white and I think that based upon history uh, from from years ago, I, I think that there, uh, because of, of some laws that were in place uh, some years ago, I think that advantages were 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 had, um, and I think that had a lot to do with the color of your skin. So I, I think that 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 word that word that phrase has stemmed from off of that. So I you know and and like I said, uh, I'm I'm I agree with a lot of what Dwayne uh, just said. Uh, that word doesn't come up often in in, in my life because I, I am a family of a very mixed, uh, very diverse family. So, um, but when it when it does come up, that's what I think about. All right, that's fair. So I'll go next on this. So I am conflicted when I hear that because on the one hand, I can't sit here and act like um, like like we're all viewed the same. Like we all have the same opportunity, but to Dwayne's point, there's various levels and various types of privilege. For example, um, one thing I talk about all the time is what I, a phrase I call green privilege. Green privilege is, is somebody has more money than other people. It is clear that people with more money have more privilege. They have more access to things. For example, LeBron James's kids and Dean Jenkins's kids do not have access to the same things. They just don't. You know, that's just, that's, that's, that's just a, a green privilege thing. But examples of white privilege would be um, the way I always describe it when I, uh, when I do trainings, when I do keynotes, things like that, is it's simply uh, 
white privilege to me when I when I think about it is always being on the more favorable end of the benefit of the doubt. So a perfect example of that, and again, people have heard me tell stories about uh, times when I've gone out places, and if I am with my my you know my white friends or, if, or my wife is white, if I'm with my wife, sometimes I have to prove myself up to zero. You could see the looks on people's faces sometimes when I walk in, and you and they're just like, it's like oh man, you know, like you can just tell people, you know, I'm a big guy, I'm an intimidating guy. Uh, maybe not so much now that I that I you know I got all the white hair in my beard when I was younger and I was I was in better shape and I and I looked maybe more what more more people would consider to be uh, a threat. There were definitely eyes rolling and hmms and ha's when I walked into certain rooms. It's just it's just a fact that that's what happened. Whereas if I'd be with other friends of mine um, that were that were not black, it didn't seem like there like there was that same adverse reaction to them walking into the room. Um, but I will also say I agree with Mr. Robinson in that clip. It does not, cannot stress away, stress it enough. It does not take away from the accomplishments, from the hard work, from the people that had it rough that that are, that are, that are white. It does not take away from their accomplishments. Your accomplishments are your own, and you deserve what you work for. It just means that the obstacles you hit along the way. The one thing you can guarantee might not what what was an obstacle was the color of your skin, and that is to me uh, that's where the privilege comes from. And again, it's not something you asked for. It's not something that you applied for. It just is. It's no different than when I want to read something on a top shelf and I'm standing next to somebody who's five three. I'm privileged to be taller. It's just something I have. It's just naturally the way it it it, it worked out. Or I can read something on the top shelf and maybe somebody that's shorter cannot. So um, I don't know, folks. Do you have, fellas, do you have any any thoughts, any any reaction to my my view of white privilege? No, I I, I think you you make a lot of um, uh, you painted the picture a little a little more. Um, I think your your perspective is is a little different from mine, and my perspective is a little different from from Dwayne's. But I, I think that um, I think we're all in the same same area, uh, particularly you and I, Dean. I I think that. Uh, it shouldn't take away from a lot of the hard work that has been done, um, and, and you know that 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 phrase shouldn't uh, shouldn't be attached to folks, and they shouldn't be they shouldn't have to feel like they didn't work hard for everything that they have. Um, and that's and I, a fact. Yeah. And and again, that's that's some people, and of course, there's people that didn't work hard for what they had. They've gotten what they had because of who they are and, and, and the relationships that maybe different generations of their family um, ha has, has kind of laid the, the, the groundwork for them. But again, isn't that what we're trying to do? Isn't, aren't we trying to make things easier for our, for our kids and make things better for our, our children? So just food for thought. So, folks, if you're just tuning in, this is Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. Please, if you have any questions, we'd love to have you get, in, get involved in this conversation. You can just go ahead and throw them in the chat. If you are in, on LinkedIn, if you're watching from LinkedIn, we welcome you. Please put your name in with your comment because for some reason it does not come up uh, with your specific name if you're, if you're chiming in from LinkedIn. So just want to invite people to jump in, take part of the conversation here. So from there, for, fellas, another thing that I wanted to talk about that I think is super important is obstacles. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Have you found that in uh, in your chosen in your in what you do for work or or what you do for hobbies 
Has it ever been a factor one way or the other? So I'm going to go to Dwayne first. So, I mean, um, you know, like I said, like the, when I was younger, mm-hmm. and when I, you know, when I moved to Plymouth, and I and I gave that example, knocking on the door, riding bikes, and so forth, I was exposed to that. I mean, I, I'm I'm a I'm, I'm a named victim in a civil rights case from you know 1986, where um, those that know the town of Plymouth or from the town of Plymouth. In the 80s, there was a group called the Bandana Boys. Now, the Bandana Boys were a group of guys who um, just did not like people of color. And if you were walking alone or you were at a party or whatever the case may be, um, these were some big boys and they were they were fighters. And uh, they would they would just, you know, beat you up just just be, just because. And um, everybody knew about it. They were called the Bandana Boys. And uh, I um, happened to be at a. Uh, at a party where the great majority of the football players were there and people who, um, you know, were my friends and uh, probably four black kids, Kate Birdian. And, um, you know, they, they came to the party and next thing you know, uh, over the intercom of this, of this big giant house that we were all, you know, having this party at, of course, with no adults because that's how we did it back then. And, um, you know, the, 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 and, yeah, it was it was announced. Any niggas in this house, you're gonna die tonight. And um, it, it it got ugly. And uh, one of the individuals who was there, um, just leave, leaving names out of it, um, you know, his dad is a is a very um, popular um, individual who you know um, had you know marched along uh, alongside with Martin Luther King and um, was a a comedian, actor, was, was very, you know, was, was a whole bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at 15, 16 and a half, 17 years old, having to go to, uh, you know, Brockton uh, Superior Court on a regular and, you know, relive that that encounter and stuff like that. Um, that didn't, that, that, that just made me more confident as a person on working harder. So there was a whole bunch of lessons that came out of that, you know, for me. Um, beyond that, I mean, Google Eugenia Forts. I didn't tell you that. Google Eugenia Forts. We got a beach named after my family member, you know, down the Cape. It's called Forts Beach. Is it because of that? No, 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 no. This is we're going back to nineteen. This I'm let's check. So you, I, I share that story. That was that was what nineteen eighty six, nineteen eighty eighty six. I didn't say eighteen eighty six. I said nineteen eighty six. And then you got my grandmother, her uh, her, her sibling, who uh, in the 50s, you know, she's from, you know, New Bedford and um, found her way down the Cape with another friend. And she was sitting in the wrong section and police came and told her she had to leave. This is way before Rosa Parks. And she said, I ain't leaving. And she got arrested. And long story short is... uh, when she got to be older, she came back and bought the house on the beach and then bought deed rights to that beach, stuck a sign in the sand that said Forts Beach. And um, the town has, you know, the town of Bonstable, Hyannisport has recognized, Google it, Eugenia Forts, real good lady. She actually founded the first NAACP chapter in, in, in down the Cape. So um, well, people that know me know I don't, I don't. this, this is, this is like you said, it's, it's, I came out, you're a friend of mine I, and, and. I really don't discuss 
and play the woe is me. Actually, actually pisses me off. You know, the woe is me. Work hard. Stop complaining. Mm -hmm. It's ain't fair. Life ain't fair. Life ain't fair. Life ain't fair. Wasn't fair. The the minute Adam and Eve stepped inside the damn garden of Eden, it ain't fair. You know, and it's never going to be fair. So as far as you know, I me put in the work, put in the work. Well, it's a tie. Well, you know, put in a little bit more work. Like I work hard. Like I want to breathe for the fact that you like you said, you know, um, I'm doing better than my father did, and I'm going to make sure that my daughter hopefully does better than I do. And that's that. Well, let me ask you this. Let me go to Mike. So, Mike, Dwayne brought up a lot of good points there. One of the things um, that I think we've all talked about in our private conversations is um, I think I speak for all of us. Say none of us are looking for a leg up, but it, but we are looking for and we expect to be able to start on equal playing ground with everybody else, equal footing, right? 100%. Everything else, that's all I ever asked. So, like, just give me the same opportunity that anybody else does, and I'll take care of the rest. Now, is that kind of, you know, Mike, are you of that same mindset? And if so, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, 100%. Just uh, let's start out on equal footing, um, and and uh, and I'll take it from there. And like Dwayne said, uh, work hard. Don't complain. Just work hard, just like everybody else, and 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 uh, and, and it's expected. Um, you know, I I can't. I, my background is a little different, only because right after high school, and maybe I don't remember a lot of stuff, uh, or I drowned a lot of stuff out just to kind of uh, so it doesn't cause as much damage. But you know what I can remember, and I and I think I'm. I feel like I'm fortunate for this, and and my life story is because uh, I always tried to surround myself with a very very diverse group of folks. And um, right after high school, I joined the military. So if racism was there, it was hidden and it wasn't obvious because if it, you know, particularly being in the military that, that they um, when I was in, uh, not, you can't just openly and freely proclaim to be a racist uh, or, or you or they'd bounce you. So was it there? Maybe. Was it in my face? No. Um, so I think, but even when I was in the military service, I think I was still able to surround myself with a very diverse group of people. Um, so I, I hadn't had to deal with some of the experiences that Dwayne had to deal with, uh, as he's articulated here tonight. Um, and then after the, the military service, and prior to the military service, the story that I'll share is, you know, my dad was in the service. He was in the Navy. And I remember that, uh, you know, I told him uh, pro probably a year before I was going to uh, be sent out to boot camp. I said, Hey, listen, dad, you know, uh, I plan on joining the military. I think that was my route to college. And he was adamantly against it because he had dealt with negative experiences in the Navy when he was in the service. So he did not want me to join the services and he, and he shared some of his stories and he didn't want, he just didn't want me to be traumatized by the same things that he had to endure when he was in the Navy, but against his, you know, against his wishes, I, I still felt like I had to um, uh, you know, pull off the teat and, and, and do my own thing as a man and, and, uh, and live life. And that's what I did. Um, and then after the service, you know, I was very fortunate. I, I took the civil service exam and, and again, it's, it's me. I ha I have to take the exam. No one's going to take it for me. So I I've been fortunate enough where I've been in positions where you take a test, you get on, you take a test and you pass, you do well, you get on. So, and, and that's just been my experience when I got promoted to sergeant, when I got promoted to lieutenant, it was very hard to put a barrier in front of there because, again, it's all me. I'm the one that has to study. 
I'm the one that's, that has to take that exam. So it's very difficult for somebody based upon my, my, my skin color to, to, um, uh, to put barriers up for me. Um, so whether they existed or not, it, it certainly did not affect me as I've climbed um, to the positions that I've, I've gotten uh, privileged to be in. All right. That's, that's all. That's fair. That's fair that you, that you say that. So I'm going to hit the chat real quick. So a good friend of ours, Ed Denmark says, I was told at a very young age, couldn't be good, had to be the best to be treated like you were as good as someone who did not perform as well as you. Never viewed it as an obstacle, but a challenge. It shaped my personality. So Ed, well put. So my devil's advocate to you, Ed, and to everybody else on the panel is what happens? Like, obviously, um, people that, that think like that, people that move like that, they are type A people. They are people that are more resilient than the average person. Can we expect everybody to have that type of resilience? And, 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 and how, how can they navigate the world if they're just not built like that? So, Dwayne, uh, I'm going to go to you really quick. How do you navigate the world if you're not built like that? I mean, <laughs> how can you? If, if, if you don't, um, you don't have that, that in you. You know, um, I was lucky. You know, my, my parents, I, I, I had two, two, a mother and a dad in, in the home, always. Yep. Uh, there was structure. I have friends who I grew up with who I speak to. You know, I haven't seen them in a long time, and they remind me of, you know, like, man, we used to make fun of you when you used to have to, you know, leave the, leave the field and because I had to, you know, sprint home with my pro kids. You know what I mean? Like, get there quick. I'm taking you back. That's with pro kids and ponies and Chuck Taylors. And, you know, five, hey, dad said five o'clock, better be five o'clock, now 501. So, you know, um, point being is to be short-winded is that, you know, I had that structure. And so people that don't have that structure, that role model, um, it's, it's, it's challenging. Um, I don't like, I like, but there was, I, I was in the Marine Corps and I literally went around the world, Dean, three times. And I say there's 193 countries. I've been to 137. You know what I mean? All before the age of 24. So I've seen a whole bunch, a lot, um, and, and my eyes will open up when I went over, you know, to Europe, when I was, I hit every single continent and to, to see the different challenges in different countries, like, yeah, with, I, I'm lucky, I'm lucky as, lucky as can be to be in the United States. So, but that was, that was, you know, that, that gentleman that just put that up there, man, that, that's like some profound words because I, I can relate to that exactly what he said. A hundred percent. I mean, I can almost hear my father um, saying that. And again, that that if 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 we're being fair, that speaks to that privilege piece. Because again, I don't know how many of my buddies when I was growing up had to have that kind of speech. Like those speeches were almost mandatory uh, of that generation, right? I mean, that's that's something that was told. Like, hey, listen, you know, buckle up, Buttercup. Like this is this is how it is. You can let this cripple you. Or you can use it as motivation and move on. And it just so happened, to your point, to Mr. Robinson's point from the clip, that we are fortunate enough to have whatever it is that allows us to move that way. So um, so Ed, Ed's back. He says, no, we cannot. That's why things are still a work in progress to level the field. 100% couldn't agree with you more. So, Mike, any thoughts on that, on, on, on Ed's comment? Or anything that uh, that I that Dwayne or I said on uh, redirect. No, I, I think um, well. One thing I think you said, Dean, is is as it uh, relates to Mr. Robinson, uh, 
Um, I think that I think what we cannot do is we can't let these things consume us because if we let a lot of these things consume us, I think we have to talk about it um, and we should talk about it just like we're doing here tonight. But I think that if we let uh, uh, if we let all these negative things consume us, uh, then I think it takes us over. Um, and that's 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 dealing with fear. And that also uh, it trickles down to generational fear and everything that comes with that. So so, you know, ultimately and I, and I know Dwayne made a statement earlier is so my my goal, my objective as a man is and as a father is to make my son's life easier than I had it. And, and that's my my was my father's goal. His goal was to make sure that I my life was easier than he had. And that's my goal going forward with, with my son. So um, I, I think that, you know, we can, we can uh, crumble up into a little ball and, and, and we can let fear consume us and, and we can, we can let it interfere with, with where we're trying to go or where we need to go. Um, um, or we can pick our heads up and, and, and drive on. Um, so I, I think both of you've made some, some great points. And I, I love that mindset. It's, you know, it really is just, just it's a choice. And uh, just to show you that, you know, again, we're not there yet. It's clear that we're not there yet. But a quick example of that, of how things can change from one generation, um, is this. So here is a picture of my father. All right, I've shown this before. So this is my father and his mother, my maternal grandmother. All right, so this is my father. I'm going to say this is probably right around 1970, you know, early 70s. So my father was the first black computer room supervisor at Gillette, at Gillette in South Boston. Um, and, he, and he was that during busing. So for those of you that aren't from Boston, busing was when they forced kids from different neighborhoods to integrate into different uh, high schools or uh, different schools in general around the city of Boston. And South Boston at the time was, uh, was notorious uh, to be notoriously against busing. So my father gets dropped in the middle of this. He takes a job at, at um, Gillette South Boston, uh, which was a, which was a dream job back at the, back in those days. So his, his, you know, one of his first days, they bring him in, they introduce him to this other gentleman. I um, I'm not sure of his name, and they say, I'll just say, I'll just call him Joe. So they say, all right, Joe, um, this is Cal. Cal's first day. We want you to show him around, kind of, you know, you know, teach him, you know, just the the nuts and bolts of what we do here. And Joe turns around and says, I'm not showing this nigga shit. Excuse my language, everybody. That was my father's first day at work. My father stayed there for like another 25, 30 years. Just to show you how different the world is today than it was. And again, we're not talking ancient history here. We're talking this is in the 70s. The guy didn't get fired. He, it was just kind of like, hey, you can't, you shouldn't really say that. You know, just show him around, will you? Like, that's kind of how that ended. Could you imagine? Could people in today's world imagine having to go to work day after day in that kind of environment? I can't do that. I'm the man's son. I couldn't imagine doing that. Mm -hmm. So the goal is, like, and my father, I feel like he accomplished his goal. God rest his soul. My life is easier than his. My obstacles my hurdles are lower than his are. They're still there, but they're lower than his are. And my goal and my dream as a father is to lower those hurdles and obstacles for my children as well. So just a quick story um, about how about how much about how much things have changed 
uh, in, in a small amount of time. So I'm going to hit the chat a little bit. We have a couple questions. So Heidi wants to know, how hard is it to break generational fear? Mike, how hard is it to break generational fear? You know, it, it, uh, it, you know what it is? It, it's, it's hard to break generational fear if you refuse um, to come out of that bubble. And what I, what I mean by that is if you can continuous, continuously surround your, yourself with people who are feeding that monster, then you will never break the generational fear. I think the I, I think if you want to break that generational fear is to expose yourself to your fears. So what I mean by that is is if you have a, a certain viewpoint about whatever group, um, I think that in order to to overcome those fears um, and not let it trickle down trickle down to 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 the younger folks is to go and and, and immerse yourself and and what you fear the most. Have conversations with folks. Um, have difficult conversations with folks. Have have conversations with folks that do not think like you, that do not look like you, that do not talk like you or walk like you. And that's how you're going to break generational fear. If you continue to keep yourself in that little bubble and that world that, that feeds that monster, you're never going to break that generational fear, unfortunately. Dwayne, what say you? Breaking generational fear. I'm not looking to break fear. Um, I stay in my lane, to be honest with you. And by staying in my lane, uh, I can't touch this. There's a countless, and I say countless, I don't keep count, but it, it's pretty profound that when there are people that are in careers right now that say that they remembered me and other people um, watching the way that we navigated and how you know, the things that we work for, the nice things, nice neighborhood, this, that, and the other. And um, that that inspired them to, you know, do better. Like, like it's, it's, it's obtainable with hard work, back to that hard work. So as far as, you know, talking about changing generational, you know, differences, I'm having a hard time with this generation, you know, and... So um, am I going to change? I'm 53, man. I'm, I'm closer to death than I am living. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live my life, man. So like when I literally say I stay in my lane, like you come into, you come into the fourth fast lane, then that, that, that's, that's when I got a problem. That's, that's when I address issues, but you want to stay ignorant and, you know, um, you know, all these experiences that you were talking about, I, I lived that, I've been that, I've done that, you know, um, parents, Telling me, warning me, you can hang out with my, 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 you know, my, my sons, my daughters. But if you ever date, you ever think about dating one of my daughters, don't, because it's not going to happen. Like, how do you take that? You know, I could have put my head in the sand. So, you know what I did? Dated their daughter anyway. We just kept it a secret. <laughs> like, there was a dare. Don't touch the stove. It's hot. Yeah. <laughs> now, that, now that you said that, now that, now that you put that up there, now, now that's, that's what's going to happen. You know, and it did happen, but you know, keep it a secret. All right, fair enough. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk really quick about about the break of the generational fear. Um, I think the key thing you need to do in order to break generational fear is you have to lead by example. You have to show what's possible. That is the first thing that needs to happen. 
And a perfect example of that, again, I'll, I'll just talk about myself and what I do. Anybody who follows Supply the Y knows that I'm in law enforcement. And I grew up with a healthy fear of police officers. And I can tell I can tell you right now that was passed down. It was passed down throughout the family. Like, you know, like you avoid the police, stay away from the police. Uh, you know, if you, you know, you yes, sir, no, sir. But, you, you know, you avoid them at all costs because of uh, things that had happened in the world. The the age of my parents and 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 uh, and and my other uh, aunts, uncles, grandparents, it was just one of those things. It's the way it was, and I didn't grow up want. Obviously, didn't grow up wanting to be a police officer. It didn't it? Didn't uh, it? Never really occurred to me. So I got into this line of work late. But once I got into this line of work, the one thing I realized is it was needed. I had an epiphany one day. I said, you know what? All these fears, all these things that I have a problem with, how is that ever going to change if more people don't step up and do what needs to be done to enact the changes that everybody was looking for? How can we ever have police officers that will advocate? How can we have police officers that will, um, when people like to do things like weaponize the police against certain races of people by calling in crazy made-up calls against people that look differently? Well, how do, how, how do we ever make those people feel better about being victimized by random callers if you don't have people that understand what it's like to be on the other end of that? How do we, ha- how do we make it better if we don't get on the line and say, hey, listen, dispatch, is there a callback number for that caller? I want to talk to them because that, that, that suspicious person in the, in the, that they just called in, that's a young kid walking to school in the rain with a book bag. That's what that is. So I want to talk to that caller. I want to know exactly what it is that they that they were calling in. So you have to have people that are willing to uh, willing to do that and to advocate for people that are being disenfranchised and mistreated, um, and by people that are weaponizing the police. And you don't have to be a person of color to do that. You just have to be a person of moral courage and moral strength to do that. So that's just um, that's just my two cents on that, Mike. I see you nodding your head. Um, uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Anything I said, and I'm going to put up Ed's comment, which speaks to uh, to what we're doing here. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, when you said weaponize the police, I've definitely had um, some conversations with with callers in regards to what, what they described as suspicious activity or or what have you, and 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 a lot of it had to do with just education, you know. I and and I would ask questions. Well, what what makes that person suspicious? Well, they're doing this, this, and this. Well, I said, other than other than the fact that they look like this, what makes that person suspicious? And I educate people. I'm, uh, you know, and I try to put, I try to uh, make it so that they're in in, in that person's shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, put yourself in that situation, and I and and you called somebody called on you because you you look like this, or you had your hair a certain way, mm-hmm. and I make it all about education. And and most often than not. Uh, people have realized uh, that that it it wasn't right. Um, so I, I think I think to your point, Dean. I think educating people um, is is certainly important, and you don't have to look like the three of us to do it. I mean, I mean, you know, and I've seen other people do it that don't look like me. So, um, but but certainly certainly somewhat of an issue, not an issue, but something that needs to be addressed um, within the law enforcement community and the community is weaponizing the police for your satisfaction. Yeah. It's one of those things. And Dwayne, I'm going to get you in a second. It's it's for us. It's kind of damned if you do damned, if you don't, because at the end of the day, 
Um, I understand the points you made, but that's easier to do what you're talking about if you're taking the call. Like if you are like the dispatcher, you can ask those questions. But we all know that when you get called to a place, whether you like the call, whether it feels right or not, you got to go. I mean, that's, I mean, police, I think police, I think we're the last piece of society that when someone calls you, us, they guaranteed to get a response. We don't ever tell somebody we're not coming. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why, um, unfortunately, it, it's an effective way to harass people is call the police. You know, you, you don't like somebody, you know what? I'm going to call the police on you and I'm going to make you explain yourself to the police. I'm going to make you uncomfortable because the police are going to come in and, uh, and ask you questions. Yeah. And I think when you get there to your point, if you can get to the person that called it in, um, if they're a named, named caller, or, um, you can certainly, uh, you know, respectfully have a conversation with them and challenge them on, on what it was they saw. If it's clear that they were just trying to, um, weaponize you against somebody else. Dwayne, any thoughts on that? I can't, you know, personally, I mean, all my experiences with the police, even young or, uh, you know, I was courteous and, and courteous was extended back. I mean, I'm talking getting chased on my dirt bike, you know, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, this is 1982, 83. My, my, my iron 125 riding down a regular, you know, public way, federal furnace to be exact, cutting over, riding down South Meadow Road, getting chased, hitting Pond Street in the Cava and, you know, bike stalled and yeah, got out and dealt with me and I ran and they gave me a little discussion and what's your father's phone number? I wish, I wish they'd have just handled it because when my father got <laughs> off, you know, um, totally different story. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, um, young, always had fast things, motorcycles, Mustangs, so forth. And, you know, speeding pulled over really never had, you know, issues. I, I can't, but I, 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 are there people? Absolutely. Are there, there there's tons of, incidences, you know, but I wasn't there and I'm, I, I'm not one to speculate. I'm not one to speculate and, and play these hypotheses and guess games. It's, it's everywhere, man. It is. When I say it's everywhere, it's everywhere. It's your generation. Like my, my, my kids generation, it happens. It's going on like right now. Is it, there is more diversity I think now than there was when I was growing up. You know, there's when I say a lot more diversity and there's there's more talks on diversity than when I was growing up. So, you know, as far as which way is the pendulum swinging? Um, yeah, I'd be naive. I'd be ignorant to say like, ah, no, we're there. We, they, and who are we? You know, and when I say we, we as a people and it's like Morgan Freeman said it. And I don't know who he said it to. It was just some clip. And, and, I, and I forget who he was talking to. And he said, you know how you stop this this discussion of race and stop talking about it. You know what I mean? You stop talking about it. It's not to ignore it, mm-hmm. but if you keep talking about it, you draw attention to it. Like um Dwayne, I gotta devil's advocate you on that though. All right. I gotta devil's advocate you on yeah. that. So first of all I just want to call attention to what Ed wrote here. That is why these discussions are important, Dean. Uh they show progress, but they illustrate how far we need to go. So by stopping talking about it and just isn't that almost like pretending it's not happening? Is, is that kind of going back to sweeping it under the rug? Because at some point, um, every once in a while, and again, forget about police, forget about anybody. People do tend to, uh, not to tend to, but people have a tendency to kind of want to stay with their own and, and stick to what they know and stick to what's comfortable. And when people get too wrapped up in that, 
that's when this fear of people that are different than us tends to come out. So if we don't discuss yeah. it, then I how do we ever fix it? Discussing is as far as I, I, what I took out of it was what we talked about putting things in a box, categorizing mm -hmm. it. You know what I mean? As a society, you know, like I said, people like let me let me uh, you know two people get shot of different color, blood's gonna be blood. You know what I mean? And um, it's gonna be the same color. You you take a, a, a an X ray, you know, of, of a skeleton and tell somebody pick the white person, the black person, the Asian person. Is going to be, you know, that's your some anthropologist, and that's what you do. You be you might be able to point it out, but to the average person, until we start labeling labeling things, and you continue to talk about that, I think that's what he meant by that. Mm -hmm. And I just not to like not talk, like you know, like I'm I'll talk, you know what I mean, and I'll have discussions, and I come a long way because there there was a long time, like like my, you know, my father asked me, "What are you going to fight your way through life?" You know. And, and when I say like physical, like I got in a lot of fights growing up a lot. And um, because I had my wick, you know, was, was about as short as an M80 that got clipped. <laughs> and um, it, it took, it took a lot. You know, I, I came with a whole, like a lot of frustration. I went to the Marine Corps and in the Marine Corps, like, like Mike was saying, it was, it was different for me in the Marine. When I was in the Marine Corps, it was, it was 10 times the separation you had, you know, uh, Malcolm X flags being, you know, put up in the barracks over here. You had the the uh, the Dixie flag over here. You oh, had, so you had, you had a different experience than what Mike was talking about. You you had a one eighty experience. One eighty, one eighty times two. Like it was, it was, it was. But when 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 we when we had to get you know ops done and get the work done, everybody was together. Once once you came out of them camis. Like, you know, and, and they tell you, oh, everybody's green. That's bullshit. Ain't no way. Ain't bullshit is bullshit. When I say bullshit, it's bullshit when you're, when you're, when you're working. Hey, go get in, go get liberty. Go get liberty. Right. When they give you a 96 hour, 24, 48 hour pass. And then you see that you see how you, and it was, it was, when I say it was, it was confusing. It was tough because people that were docking to me didn't really know what the hell I was. What are you? Cape Verdean. What is that? What is a Cape Verdean? And then the people who were, you know, white were looking at me like, you're black. Okay. Like, like, and then the Hispanics were like, what are you? It was, it was, it was crazy. It was, when I say it was crazy, it was when I was, quick story, when I was in Book, Jacksonville, Jacksonville, North uh, Carolina, School of Infantry, SOI. I'm going to leave the gentleman's name, but we, uh, we started in boot camp all the way through and through. When we were in Paris Island and he took showers, Hand to, hand to my father from nine, man. He thought his whole childhood that black people had tails because his parents and his father told him that black people came from monkeys. He did not know. That's how ignorant. And that's a true story. Until he got to the Marine Corps, when we were in open showers, he thought black people had tails. And, and, and that just proves my point, Dwayne, about why it's important to have these conversations. Because you never know where this is going to get shared, who's going to listen to this. Hopefully a few of you out there that are listening are going to be like, hey, you should take a listen to this. Uh, these gentlemen have a different perspective, uh, and it's worth a listen. We might reach the, I think all black people have a tail guy. You never know. You're like This is why you have to talk about this stuff, because there's people out there, to your point, that um that are ignorant on a level that it's very difficult for us to comprehend. 
It was, and, who was that? Who's that commentator said that black people jump higher because they got an extra bone in their foot? He actually got jammed up for that. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that was that was years ago, years right. and years ago, right? Yeah. So, so there's, there's generational ignorance, man. Like, how do you change that? You just conversation. So, so, so let me let me loop Mike in. Mike, uh, what do you think? Generational ignorance. How how do you change that? Uh, well, well, to Dwayne's point, like, so it, it wasn't blatant to clarify what I may have said earlier. It wasn't blatant, but were things there? And, and I may not have seen the same things that that Dwayne saw when he served in the in uh, in the Marine Corps, uh, because I I was just maybe I wasn't looking for it, um, but I, I would associate with I, I did associate with some folks who had to Dwayne's point. I showed I associated with some white people who had never met a black person in person only seen black people on tv um but those were the people i, I loved having conversations with those were the people um you know and, and this one particular uh and i won't i won't say any names because people change but there was this one particular individual soldier that uh had never seen a black person before lived in a in a in, a, in, in an area in pennsylvania that did not associate with black folks. And the only time you saw a black person was on TV. And he and I became the best of friends uh, because we had conversations, we shared experiences. Um, and, and, you know, and that's what it's all about is, is because I think my personal opinions and is I, I think that I changed his mind because I had a conversation with him and I wasn't afraid to, to have a conversation with him and not make it about, um, and, and again, it's just sharing experiences and, 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 and swapping ideas. And, and at the end of it, um, we became very close friends and it was because of a conversation. All right, gentlemen, we got about six minutes left. So in the spirit of sharing, I'm going to, I'm just going to share a really quick story. So I used to work with a gentleman, um, who actually asked me, uh, this question that I'm about to say, they asked me, why is it that black people tended had such a tendency for towards violence? So this person actually asked me this question, and this person worked with me. This is somebody who I um who I uh I I ran like a little martial arts thing that that was like a law enforcement based martial arts thing, and this person took part in that a couple times. So um they knew exactly how it would have went down. Um, had I taken that comment the right way, how that might have been unfavorable for them. And they still asked me that question. So I had to fight through my initial, my initial thought process was like what most, some of you that are listening are probably thinking like, well, you should have just punched him in the face or this, that, because I, I was, I, I was saw red when I first heard it. Then I thought about, it, I said, you know what? This person knows, knows the dynamic between us. This person works with me. And this person was genuinely <clears throat> looking. This is what this person thought. So I asked a couple follow-up questions. I said, outside of the people you work with, how much contact do you have with people of different races? And the answer was none. I said, have you ever had dinner with? Have you, anybody, have you ever gone over someone's house or had them over your house? No, I haven't. I said, so is it fair to say that the most of the people with color, of color that you deal with are in your official capacity of, of law enforcement. And he said, well, yeah. I said, well, let me ask you this. Then why would you base what you know about people of color off of the criminals and people we deal with on the worst days of their life instead of 
myself, and I named a couple other people of color that he worked with. And he said, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. And they actually thanked me for say, for for putting it to him that way. But these are the type of, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Obed, Dr. Magny that we have on from time to time. He talks about emotional intelligence. He talks about being able to maybe take a breath and, 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 and try to, try to, as hard as it may be sometimes, try to um, really get to the, to the meat and potatoes of what somebody's, somebody's trying to say. And that was a perfect example, in my opinion, of that. Because again, had I been, had he said, had that person said that to me uh, when I was in my early 20s, no question, um, it would have ended badly for him. But as I got older and I realized that, um, that, 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 you know, sometimes you do have to peel back a couple layers of the onion to really get to what somebody's saying, um, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, maybe I changed this person's mind, maybe I changed their view, and maybe I, um, I helped them in the long run. So just food for thought on that. Uh, gentlemen, we're down to about three minutes left in the show. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for sharing. Uh, Dwayne, in about 60 seconds, can you tell us how can people um, follow you? What do you got going on? And uh, tell us a little bit about Viper in about 60 seconds. Yeah, so I um, I have my own business, which I do uh, firearm safety classes. It's viperselfdefense.com. Um, Google it, Viper Self Defense, and uh, you see Dwayne Forts. And um, I like to uh, share my knowledge, you know, protect those who can't protect themselves, help those who want to be helped. And um, just uh, make a difference, you know, in, 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 you know, people's lives as it relates to self, uh, self-defense and uh, empowerment. I do, you know, women's self-defense classes. I, I handful uh, daughters going off to college, you know, their parents want them to get some situational awareness and some, you know, basic safety tips. And that, that's, that's what's been, uh, that's what's been happening on my end. All right. Thank you, brother. Mike, uh, same thing. Same question. Well, uh, thank you, Dean. I appreciate you having me on again. Uh, I, I think what I'll leave the audience with is if there are any um, civil rights officers out there, uh, I would love to connect with as many as I can, um, because I think that we need to take these same conversations into the community um, where, where folks are on the ground. So any uh, civil rights officers that are currently assigned to their departments, please look me up, Malden PD, uh, mpowell at maldenpd.com. Shoot me an email. I'd love to uh, uh, stay in contact with you. All right, Mike. So, folks, just really quick, I'm just going to wrap up here. And I just want to take a second to recognize and appreciate uh, Mike and Dwayne's contributions tonight. This was um, this is not an easy thing to talk about, especially um, if you are somebody who's out in the world and you got yourself out there because it's easy for people to take what we're saying here the wrong way. It's easy for people to uh, maybe misconstrue something that's being said here. So I can't stress enough how um, how thankful I am that both of you guys had the courage to come on and have this conversation with me. It's what we do here. It's important. And I'm hoping that somebody out there that we share, that you share this show a bunch, whether it's on the podcast form or the webcast form, and you get this conversation in front of people that really need to hear it. And it's regardless of, of what race, color, religion, sexual orientation they are. People need to hear these kinds of conversations because it is the only way that we are going to be able to get back together as a society and, and move forward uh, in the best possible way to reach American dream for everybody. So with that said, 
Thank you, everybody, again for taking away time away from family to be with us. Tune in, uh, tune in the, uh, the next time we have a live show. And as always, hashtag supply the why. Thanks, folks. Good night. Thanks for having me, Dean.